Leader Talk. 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 Hi everyone, my name is Natalie Dawson. Welcome to Leader Talk. This show is proudly brought to you by Brainiac. Each week we are meeting with incredible leaders from around the world to discuss all things leadership and business insights. Each person coming on this talk show has given up their valuable time for one very clear purpose, to give back to small and medium business owners. Pricing has always been a hot topic amongst business owners. How much are my services worth? How much should I charge? Am I charging too much or too little? Well, today, my guest co-host, Mimo Lebrano, CEO of Sandhurst Fine Foods, and I are fortunate to chat to our guest speaker, Marcel Donnelly, CEO of Flat Rate Now, an Australian-made quoting solution for trade service businesses. Marcel is here today to help us understand the importance of pricing and how we can all better accelerate and automate quote creation. Welcome to the show, Marcel. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you for having me. Welcome on board, Marcel. Great to have thank you. Thank you, thank you. Marcel, we begin our show with asking our guests two fun questions and we have yours. So the first one we're going to ask you is, who is your favourite superhero and why? Hmm. It's a very good question. Um, I'd have to say, based on the amount of times I've watched the movies, it'd be Guardians of the Galaxies. Um, I find that they're, they're, the group together is, um, they're good. They're, they've got the comedy relief, but... Funnily enough, the actual movie in itself with the 1980s music that they play throughout the entire film goes really hand-in-hand with the idea of who the Guardians are. So I'd say definitely them. You look a bit like that lead dude. You know, what's the what's the lead character? Chris, Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah, have you been told that? Um, I've been told it before, yeah, actually, funnily enough. And that's a good movie, actually. That's a good one. And what about are you an early bird or a night owl? Oh, definitely a night owl. Um, I've been a night owl since, well, since primary school. I've always enjoyed staying up late. Um, I am trying to change that, though, now that I've got a, a daughter who's you know, just turned uh, first birthdays today. So, you know, she gets up quite early in the morning. So it's uh, definitely putting pressure on my night owl um, habits. But, yeah, definitely been a night owl my entire life. How about you, Mimo? Are you night owl or early bird? Oh, yeah. I, I love I'm a musician, you know. We, we're like bats, you know. I, uh, we, we come out at night time, you know. So that whole mus- musician lifestyle is very, uh, very, very attractive because it means you you play all night and you sleep all day, you know. So I could I could easily do that, you know. That's my my great my great wish is to you know be a musician and you know not 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 only see daylight if you play. Sounds a bit like a bit more like a vampire. And Marcel, before we go on and you know have a more of a discussion about all this, we're hoping you can introduce yourself and just tell us a bit more about Flat Rate now, so we understand the business. Of course. So my, my name is Marcel. I am a CEO of Flat Rate now. And what we've designed as a quoting platform um, or a solution is for the ability for tradesmen when they are on site with their customers, have access to a range of tools that can help them build quotes then and there. Um, Predominantly, tradesmen tend to walk away from their customer, whether they're doing the quote on site, but in their vehicle, you know, they may spend 20 to 30 minutes talking to the customer and then disappear for half an hour to their vehicle to price up the job. And that's the best part. You know, a lot of tradesmen are actually going home at the end of the day and writing up these quotes and then sending them off to the customer. Predominantly, when a 
client or a homeowner is contacting a tradesman, it's a bit of an emergency and they kind of want things done then and there. So through our platform, we're focusing on empowering tradesmen to build quotes then and there with their customers with great detail, pricing, and the ability to modify those prices as well so that that way they can do everything with the client. So that once the job is finished, they can collect payment as well and then move on to the next job without having the burden of more that administrative function that would then be required after a busy day on the tools. Yeah, so the, it is interesting because even today we I had a chat to someone and they were telling me, you know, it trades uh, business owner and his whole day is spent doing seven quotes and that's an entire day. So that's quite a familiar scenario for them to find themselves in. So I guess, you know, you do with a lot of tradespeople, Marcel, how would you describe the actual proficiency of the tradies today in this digital space? Because this is all very digital. How are you finding that at the moment? It's, um, I will say that COVID has definitely pushed tradesmen into a more digital sense or if they're not pushed into it yet they're more aware that they need to take action and become more digital Um, whether it's marketing whether it's um, just in itself the actual operations of their business you know there's still a lot of tradesmen out there that are using pen and paper they arrive on site they'll write everything down on 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 paper they'll phone the, the suppliers ask for the materials to be added to their purchase order over the phone do the quick calculation on their on their calculator and then present it to the client. And then they've then got to convert that into their zero or their whatever accounting software they're using or job management system. So well, even though we're finding businesses are moving towards being more digital, the old habits die hard. And you know, they do see the benefit of having the technology, but a lot of them don't use it to the full efficiency. So rather than just using pen and paper, you know, doing it directly into the into the quoting app that they've got on their phone or their tablet, you know, taking those little shortcuts to speed up the process. Um, and I do appreciate that there will be times when it will feel better to write things down. That's totally fine. If you're if you're building up a quote for a customer and you need to write things down, notes before you write the the um, the actual quotation or use a system to do it, that's great. But don't spend all that time and effort in pen and paper, then moving it, having to read, you know double handle it back into the system when you can actually take that step to just do it directly in there. The first concept is time versus money. This is what I use a lot of the time. It's like the time you spend doing something is best done something else. I use my I use my own house as an example. I say to my wife, who she loves doing the ironing. I said, you can pay someone to do the ironing because you're a bookkeeper. You can charge out at, you know, um, $60 an hour. You get someone to do the ironing for you for $35. You effectively, you'll make $25 an hour um, or whatever that is. I'm terrible with this. Um, so how do you get over that time versus money thing? Because they, you know, clearly if they're writing out quotes and things like that, first concept, they've got to come to terms with this time is more valuable than money. And once once you, own, as a business owner, understand time versus money, then that's one of the first steps of liberation in, in only the business uh, that I think. Anyway. I think actually the first, uh, so what I would say with the first step is to speak to the, uh, to the to their accountants and actually get an understanding as to what their hour is worth so that they can then appreciate and understand, hang on a second, if I'm spending an hour writing this quote and with the cost of the business and everything, all my overheads, I need to be charging out at $200 an hour. It's very easy to understand that, hang on a second, for every hour that I'm spending writing these quotes, I am effectively losing $200. So if they if they get that understanding, that will then help them to change the habit to say, well, okay, I need to get faster at building quotes and to get more efficient at doing it, but also I need to get more 
tradesmen, more of my employees doing these quotes, then I can then break that down so that per hour, if I've got four tradesmen doing four quotes, you're then breaking down even more so you can see how much more efficient the business can become but also how much more profitable it can be as well. Just going back to something you said earlier about how they're becoming more tech savvy. I mean, tradesmen by definition are very visual, very hands-on people. So they will see that the people in their house, their kids get schooled with a the computer. They're, they're sort of like, I mean, I'm sure a lot of tradespeople are like, oh yeah, bloody computers, you know, who, who needs them? I'm a, I'm a plumber, I'm an electrician, I'm a tiler, I don't need to, you know, engage with the computer because I don't, use, I can't work from home, you know? Um, <laughs> and so they, but all of a sudden they see people around them uh, achieving things from home. I mean, I was one of the first skeptics that said you can, who could work from home, but I must admit a lot of my staff are actually working from home. So they are obviously observing people around them, spouses and kids doing stuff in a more tech-friendly tech way. And they're sort of saying, well, maybe I need to get on board. Was that a factor you saw during the COVID, during the pandemic? Definitely. I did see that as a factor. But what I've, what I've identified more with the trades is that if the trade in itself doesn't have a very technologically driven component to it. So if we were to compare um, plumbers to Sparkies, plumbers predominantly don't use a lot of digital technology in their trade. You know, they're very hands-on, they're welding, you know, they're, they're crimping, they're, you know, digging and so forth. Whereas a Sparky, once they wire the, once they wire the house, they've then got to install the switchboard, they've got to install the home units. So they have to move and evolve with technology. And off the back of that, new systems require new apps. And as those new apps get taught and educated to those tradesmen, they appreciate and understand that the software is going to benefit. What I find with, with plumbers is that because they can do a lot of their work, a lot of their job without having to really use electrical technology, when it comes to actually going in and then having to learn apps and learn op, uh, tech operations, there's a bit of a disconnect there. And they go, hang on a second, I'm used to using my hands. How is this system going to make me better? How is the system going to make me faster when I know that I can trust that my hands are going to do this, this, and this? So what you're saying here, Marcel, is it's electricians by definition because they're handling data cabling and, and you know computer cabling and also electrical cables. They're actually evolving with technology, whereas plumbers, you know, in a lot of ways, are doing the same thing they did 30, 40 years ago. It's just probably the tools are a little bit different. So the learning curve for a plumber is, is a little bit it, steeper than, than a It spark. definitely is a little bit more steeper. But what I will say with plumbers is that there has been quite a shift in the last 10 years with technology. So now that we've got the relining technology, which is becoming a lot more prominent in sales for, for tradesmen, uh, for plumbers, um, I tend to now say to business owners that go, look, you know, I don't use a lot of technology. Why would I, you know, why would I use this software? I just turn around and go, mate, as a plumber, you're using relining technology that's essentially robotics. You're pushing bladders down drains and you're using little little cutting tools on a little screen controlling a robot arm. Mate, if that's not tech, I don't know what it what, what it is then because that's fantastic. That's amazing to see how evolved plumbing has become with respect to that. And then it's, it then comes back to that disconnect. I'm using my hands. I can see the robot. I can do this. But on the computer, I've got to type it all out. And I don't like typing. I'm dyslexic. I'm this. I'm that. So, Does that mean you have a separate marketing strategy for chippies, uh, uh, sparkies? Or do you have like a separate – is there a separate approach for, that, for those groups? Or is it more – are you segmenting on that basis? Or is it just one size? We do segment all, a little bit. Um, we do tend to find that the nurturing that's required for that – um, that portion of the industry requires a lot of that, a lot of resourcing, a lot of a lot of capital expense, which we just don't have as a startup. So we then tend we've tended to focus on more of the those business owners that understand their pain points, are looking to evolve, or 
um, connecting into uh, mem- uh, uh, so um, channels that provide education. So we know that if a, a member or, an, or a viewer of this podcast is going to then take a look at our software, it's because they already understand that they're either lacking in an area or they need to be more efficient in another area. So that helps us to, to focus our energies on that. But with respect to the larger portion of the industry that aren't quite there yet, it's just a slow nurturing burn. It's explained that don't worry, you're not alone. These problems, you know, if you're not noticing these problems yet, be aware of them. And this is what you should be looking for in with respects to improving your, you know, either your tech operations or marketing or whatever it might be. Yeah, look, I mean, automating quotation process or, you know, pricing in itself seems like a dream come true for any business owner. I mean, I know when I started seven years ago with Elite Words, starting was so difficult. It's taken me seven years to actually come up with some sort of automation. That is a lot easier. And I've seen people say, oh, I've got so many jobs to quote. And it's like, hang on, you're taking the wrong approach here. You've got jobs to quote, you know, convert them. These are leads, convert them. You know, they'll generate income. Really curious to know, Marcel, this platform that you've built, like I know what we've done with Elite Words, how did you actually, how is it, how did you come across this uh, pricing? Was it a... I mean, it's it's for traders themselves, but we can all learn about how you did actually, how is it automated? What is actually driving it? So how we essentially come with the pricing, and I'll just take a step back and talk about the jobs. There's a lot of tradesmen that say, I've got so many jobs to quote, I've got so many jobs to do. Um, they say it with a negative connotation, but they're actually saying, how good am I? I've got all these jobs to quote, I've got all these jobs to, to do, which is um, the wrong way to really look at it as well because what we find with businesses that use our software is that they're actually saying we're quoting less jobs, we're winning more jobs, but at a higher profit margin. So we've seen a lot of businesses that come on saying that their guys are quoting seven to 10 jobs a day, which is ridiculous. You're never going to get through them. If you won all 10 of them, then I'm sorry, but that a few of those customers are going to end up turning around, turning around and going, so when is this going to happen? So what we end up finding with a lot of businesses that use our software is that they end up looking to quote four, maybe five, and win three. Because they're looking to quote at the profit margin that they're after at 20 or 30%, they're happier. Their guys aren't stressed to, to punish through the jobs as quickly as possible. And then their customers are then also getting a greater level of service. So the customer satisfaction is greater. So there's a volume is not always positive when, when it comes to a tradesman. You know, they really need to be mindful of that. Because if you're if you're pushing your guys to quote too many jobs at a lower margin, you're then at the risk of if something does go wrong, you can't go back to solve that problem. There's not enough money in it for you. Then customer satisfaction um, goes down. Clients start to badmouth you online. So there's the there's the ups and downs of, of both. But with respect to pricing through our software, what we've done is we looked at so Lorenzo, our co-founder, he spent many years in the late 90s, early 2000, categorizing job cards. Had all these tradesmen capturing everything, writing it all down, and then he moved he m- moved it into an Excel spreadsheet and then started essentially subcategorizing each of the jobs. So he identified after five years, hundreds of tradesmen doing a servicing of a tap a thousand times, he knew on average how long it took to do that job and what materials showed up more often than not. Because when you're looking at our software, what we're trying to do is essentially provide the average of an install, the average for the materials that are going to be used, and then if there's any ad hoc changes, they can then modify it. So off the back of identifying how long a job took on average and what materials were required, we could then essentially start to pre-build those tasks with headings and descriptions, 
And then that's just the template. What we then have is just the, the users of the software or the, the tradesmen that use our software then come in and go, well, what's my labor rate? I have to charge $200 an hour. They put that in there. What product markup do you, do you have? You know, I mark up this, this portion of the material by 30%, this portion of the material by 20%. And then we then say, what, you know, what are your material prices? What do you get from Reese? What do you get from Rexel? Import them into the system. Now, although we've got the template there, we are still yet to find any business in our software produce the exact same price for the same quote because the variables that are there don't necessarily allow for it. Even though they may have the same labor rate, they're going to get different prices for materials. They're going to apply different markups or they're going to modify the task on the spot because they've got a VIP client or they've got a difficult job where they need to bump it up. So the pricing in itself comes from historical access to to data that was that was built up over time and now what we now do is work with all of the the community of flat rate now and that's constantly then improving on the existing catalog that we've got so when we first rolled out a flat rate now in 2017 2018 we only had 400 tasks we've now got 1950 and that's just purely from the that will will continue to grow that's correct yeah so with the plumbing and electrical it probably won't grow too much more um, until there's new technologies that come into the piece. But with the air conditioning, solar and so forth, there's a lot of room for growth there. And then once we start tapping into other trades as well, that's going to continually grow as well. Have any trades, particular trades, uh, popped up as the most significant customer segment? Are you, are you, you know, very heavy in sparkers? Are you heavy in, in um, tilers? Or what are you? Where's, where's your... Or is, is, is it a we started trade? off plumbing. So... Plumbing has predominantly been the, the the bulk of our customer base, but in saying that, because of the because of the way Sparkies have evolved with technology and have been able to grow in that space, we've seen a, quite a lot of Sparkies come on board in the last couple of years since we rolled out that catalog. Now we're looking at about a 60-40 split. We've got 60% of plumbers that are using our software and 40% um, are electricians, and then that then breaks down a little bit into air conditioning and, and solar as well. But we're not very strong in that space just yet. You know, the, the egg... What about tilers? I mean, tilers. Tilers don't. Uh, tilers tend to be more renovation work and new development than um, service base. You know, you're not really going to call a tiler out for one crack tile. You know, you might. You might. Okay. So, so because our software yeah, okay. focuses on um, service based maintenance work, um, emergency fixes, um, tiling in our system is a is just a price that you can charge for. And, Plumbers and sparkies tend to then um, outsource that to a tiler. But in saying that, we're not limiting ourselves to not getting tilers in the future. What we don't have access to right now is um, adequate data to say how long on average it takes to, to install a square meter of tiles or whatever they may be. As we grow this, the business and we implement more algorithms into the into the process, we can then start to tap into the those types of trades that would tend to step in after a sparky or after um, a, a plumber, like painting, tiling, chip rocking, you know, all of those trades that tend to be a little bit more focused on renos and new builds, we can then start to tap into that area as well. So you're, you're at the moment, you're in the fix-it mode, but you you may branch into the reno mode in a, in, in a few years' time, depending on the weather. Yeah, so Dave, who's our system architect, absolute genius when it came to designing the architectural arrangement of the software, has set it up so that we can essentially grow based on any trade that we want to in the future. The only thing limiting us at the moment to go into the Renault space would be the takeoff component. 
You know, there's a there's a very clear requirement for renos based on the stages that you're up to that we just don't we just don't do because we are very much COD cash on delivery, quote the job, invoice the job, get paid, move on, and. Well, that's the other thing that we, we know that in those trades they tend to lag on invoicing. So you do a job on, on Monday and you, you invoice it next week or the week after, and all of a sudden you've lost effectively two weeks and you're, they're already ready to pay you, you know. Uh, and what's the number one cause of business failure? Cash flow. So, uh, yeah. But I've got, I've got to ask you really like a case study. It's like, you know, the crusty, I'm 58, you know, I'm a crusty old tradesman. So, you know, I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been plumbing. Before you're in nappy, son, you know. So how do you how do you get across that sort of you know? Because I'm sure you come across those sort of guys. I mean, I I come across them when I first joined the industry. They're like, I've been doing this thing longer than longer you've been alive. I sort of go, okay, well that's great. You, that means I've got nothing to offer you. So how do you handle the the predominantly you know uh, what I call the Mister Know It Alls of the industry? Look, because I'm 29 years old, I'm not a tradesman either. I got that every day when I first started with flat rate. Now all the time, who do you think you are? You're young. You don't even know the trade. The way that I've – I also had that in my previous role when I was a broker. Now, I was 23, 24, running a very large portfolio, talking to strata managers and real estate agents that were double double my age, been in the industry longer than I have. But not only just that, also brokers and insurance companies that, you know, they'll double my age and uh, asking, what do I know? How do I know this? You know, what are you looking for? So, what, we've, what I've learned through uh, when I was a broker – is that you just don't go head on. You can't. You're never going to win that battle. So what I've just essentially done is turn around to those that say, look, this is what we do. And I need you to understand what our software is here for. doesn't matter who I am because the software is not from me. It's come from the two co-founders who are older than 50, who, you know, Lorenzo's been doing plumbing for over 40 years. So the experience behind the software is there. I'm essentially the young face that has the energy, that loves talking and getting out there to educate you on what we can do for you. If you don't believe that you have a pain point that we can solve, that's totally okay. At the end of the day, you will come across a point where you'll either go, well, I want to be more efficient in quoting. Um, I've actually seen a lot of business owners that have their son or their daughter stepping into the trade and they want to prepare the business to pass on to them and they're fed up with doing the processes, pen and paper, and they need to evolve it. So that when they do hand it over, their child is then going to be able to run the business properly. So I just turn around and say, look, I'm not here to change your mind today. But what I am going to inform you about is some of the ideas that we're here for and what we're trying to solve. And then when you're ready, we'll be here. Give us a call. We'll give you another demo. And then we can go down, we can go down the journey together. That's a classic sales uh, situation where you don't know, the decision maker is influenced by their accountant, by their spouse, by their kids or whatever. Um, and so you might have a way of actually getting to those, those people. Um, and, you know, if you convince a young person that, you know, flat right now is good, then, you know, then, Dad, you can spend a bit more time with us instead of, you know, at, at, at an evening you're writing out quotes, you can spend a bit more time with us. And um, that, that's an interesting pain point. But I, what I like about flat right now is it addresses a key frustration of an industry, which is amazing because um, we always, you know, examples like FedEx and DHL, uh, if Australia Post was doing really, really well, there would be no need for, for those companies. But clearly they are very successful because there was a key frustration that people wanted to track packages and they wanted a better service and they wanted a more reliable service. I mean, Amazon delivers that every day. I can't believe it. You know, you can, so so, so you, you actually get uh, a, a more, a, you're actually addressing a frustration of, of, of an industry, which I think um, has definitely got relevance in the future and, and definitely will grow. One, one, um, one actual key frustration of mine that I get from a lot of business owners with that use job management systems, 
is that you've got, um, for example, the, uh, there's a software in Darwin called ServiceMate. So many tradesmen use it. It's a great piece of software, really good for, this, um, for businesses that are starting out and looking to grow. A job management system focuses on managing the jobs. They help the tradesmen track where they've got to be at what time and who the client is. So essentially, they get the, the software gets the right tradesman to the right job at the right time. But when you arrive on site, predominantly a job management system gives you the authority to write your quote. You do what you do. We're not interested in that. Because once they start going down the path of creating pre-builds for an industry, they've got to do it for the others. So if you if you release a plumbing, you've got to then release Sparkies, you've got to release Aircon, you've got to release Solar because you've got such a vast client base. What we've done is we took it, we, you know, essentially we inverted the process. Rather than trying to manage the jobs, we wanted to improve the quoting potential of tradesmen. So we work hand-in-hand hand with systems like ServiceMate, Simpro, Aeroflow, you know, those, those businesses out there because what we aim to try and do is say, well, no, keep your current system in place that you use to track your tradesmen, get them to the right job. But when they're on site, leverage our software, which is tailored and designed around helping your tradesmen convert at a higher average job value with more profitability, with greater customer satisfaction, and you don't have to you don't have to increase your profitability and um, increase your conversion rates while losing customer satisfaction. You should never ever focus on you know, driving profits to lose customer satisfaction because if you drive customer satisfaction, profits come with it. Happier clients will come back. You spend less to get those clients to the door, and you can earn more from those sales because they're happier with you. They understand what they're going to get. So it's, there's another frustration in the industry is around understanding that there are software verticals in place to help specific pain prom, a pain point, sorry. And ours is around that quoting, that sales, driving better sales, driving better customer conversion and so forth. So we do tap into those other softwares out there to help drive that. Yeah. Marcel, this uh, customer satisfaction, you know, positive customer experience that you mentioned, you know, we all know that. A, a negative review can, or they, reviews in itself can make or break a, a business. We know that. We, you know, with what you're dealing with, and you're talking about positive customer experience. Do you have any advice uh, for our listeners out there on how to really uh, create these positive experience to generate as many positive reviews as possible? We know your system does that. Any tips that you've got from dealing with trades business owners? What I tend to find with negative reviews and the lack of getting good reviews is that when the tradie is explaining the problem and the solution, they're not clearly articulating what's going on. They tend to either just allow, allow the uh, their invoice to do the talking rather than actually taking the time to sit down with the client and say, here is your problem, here is your solution. But also, you can get better reviews quicker if you offer options so then your customer is not feeling like they're being pigeonholed i've got a leaky tap here's the the cost to service that tap um, i've got to fault find here's the cost to find the fault in your wiring rather than just leaving it down to a single solution provide options to the client now you may not be able to offer an immediate option so if um, a client's got sewage coming out of their pipe okay you can't really offer them options but once you've solved that immediate problem, there's then going to be another issue afterwards. Why did that sewer back up? It's because they've got a root, a root in their uh, tree roots within their pipework. Their pipework's cracked. There's something that's gone wrong. Providing options to the client brings them into the conversation. 
they can then feel like they're actually a part of the sale process. But then they also feel like it's not really a sale because then the tradesman doesn't have to feel like a salesman. I'm presenting you these problems, sorry, these solutions to the problem. This is what I believe is the right one, but these are what the other two options are. So then it becomes an educational piece. The customer then understands what's going on. They can see the value and the service and the dollar and the dollar value as well. And then when they decide on which one they're going to proceed with, once that problem's been solved, once that job's been done, there's a greater customer satisfaction there because they already understood what was what was going to happen. And then they know, you know, they know the dollar value at the end. So that once you've done that and you tick those boxes off, you then ask the customer again, are you happy with what's going on? Are you happy with what I've done? Yes, fantastic, please pay. Oh, by the way, in a minute's time, our system is going to send you a review link for Trustpilot, for Google review, for product reviews, whatever system it is that they use. We'll really appreciate if you left us a review. Um, we'll go from there. If it's a negative review, Use that as an opportunity to improve upon. So if you identify that you've got a negative review, but your client has said all through the process they loved everything that was going on, something else is going wrong there. But if they weren't happy and you didn't ask the questions and you didn't explain to them, then use that negative review to learn, okay, what did I do wrong in the process and how can I improve on it? Because when you see a trade company that has a thousand five stars reviews and zero one, zero twos, and zero threes, I get very nervous about that. Because you're only human. And you should be making mistakes because that's how your business is going to evolve and grow. So if you're getting one and two star reviews, don't look at that and go, oh my God, life's going to end. Contact that customer. Understand what went wrong. Because a lot of the time what I've found from business owners is that once they've done that, those customers tend to change those reviews to a three or a four star and then they then leave another one so that they actually resolve the problem. So you're really actually telling your future clients that, hey, if we make a mistake, we're not going to throw you to the curb. We're going to solve it. That's really important. This is this is what uh, Jim Penman was talking about, Natalie, when he talked about the uh, the, the, the lawnmower franchisees. Is you know they're one, twos, and threes, or ABCs, and the one the ones that are running a good business would have done it without him anyway. So I'd encourage anyone to go back and listen to the Jim Penman podcast. But what you're saying is correct that the good business principles that are adapted by traders are you know communication. You know we're not trying to make anyone turn into a salesman, but there are elements of, of sales training communication that I think that you know. Uh, just as I can learn from a trade, the trade can learn from you know a salesperson as well on on how communication is. And I think people, uh, the problem with tradespeople, I think that people expect tradespeople to speak in very very basic terms, but they've also got a very technical knowledge, and they look at things from a very technical aspect. So yeah, I think any business, whether it's trade or not, should have should look at the um, the opportunity to request you know reviews at any point, um, because that's going to highlight you know whether if, even if it's just a support phone call. You know, ringing up to say, oh, no, um, this software's done this, what's going on here? You know, if they've had an experience with your business, ask for a review. Yes, it won't be published. You know, we're not going to do a Google review for, for a support call, but the, the, the importance of tracking other key areas of the business and, this, and the, the service that's being provided is really important because you can't just have a great sale process and a shopping support team because then anytime something does go wrong, then the support team's only going to throw more fuel in that fire. So if you have a, a method of being able to ask your customer every time that they have a chat with you, hey, how'd you go? Was that you know? Did you get? Did your uh, problem get solved? What can we do better? How'd you like the team that you spoke to? Starts to open up those cracks before they become real problems, and then you can just keep on improving upon it.
Oh, look, we all go by Google reviews. I know we had an emergency situation. We needed a locksmith on a public holiday. You know, I went by the the Google reviews and, you know, it it, it works. So anyone that's not doing it, I agree with you, Marcel, big, you're missing out on a huge opportunity. Even if it's not automated, you know, you can eventually get to have it automated, but it is so important. And you see it. And there's some businesses that really don't utilise it, but definitely a key factor. Uh, Marcel, you also mentioned communication is a big lesson we can all learn from tradies themselves. And, you know, we've got a lot of listeners that are tradespeople. I'm not, but I'm learning a lot. Is there anything besides communication that you think that, you know, other business owners can actually learn from tradies themselves? Um, trying to think here. Even just from a business perspective. Ask for help. And that's one thing that I find a lot of tradesmen tend to avoid. Um, and I don't know where this comes from, and because I'm not a that's a blind yeah, but it's, you know it's, it's it's it really does amaze me how many tradesmen out there aren't interested in asking for help and trying to just do it either their way or the hard way. Um, you know, you're not it's not you're not any lesser than any anybody else if you turn around and say, look, I've actually got a bit of a problem here. What can I do to to fix it? Um, you know, no one's on their own. You know, there's so many communities out there that are just expecting people to come forward and ask. Um, and, you know, if they're, if they're concerned about asking because it's financial, then speak to the accountant. You know, this, that's one thing that I would say that I've, that, that uh, that's probably a negative that I've found with tradesmen is that I'm not scared or whatnot, but it's just, yeah, they just don't tend to ask for help and see the value in asking for other people's help, um, which I think is really unfortunate because there's a lot of business owners that I've spoken to that, that have said, oh, I wish I, I wish I asked this question two years ago. Now, I knew about this, but I just didn't act on it. That gets me to another concept of like the associations. I mean, we belong to many associations. Family Business Australia is a, is a great organisation we belong to, and we've got our industry associations. And um, obviously, you know, flagrant now, you guys would be well, you know, well, well positioned to sort of uh, tap into those associations because I think referrals uh, for your system would probably be the, the number one selling tool. So you know, spark, uh, you know, Sparky speak to Sparkies, and you know, plumbers speak to plumbers, and so well, some guys go, mate. I've actually get on my seat ahead, you know. I've got more time to spend with the family now because I'm not spending my evenings quoting, you know. Um, so you, are you aware of those associations? Do they belong associations? They have uh, sort of community areas, and that's where they get help as well. That's how they learn. Uh, I know that's where we learn from other family businesses because what we go through, um, they've been through as well. So that surely the tradies would have a similar uh, association. Yeah, they've got the, the – for the plumbers, you've got the Master Plumbers Association and the electricians do as well. Um, outside of those associations, to be honest, I'm not too sure. I haven't really dived into into those areas yet because we're currently in the process of actually becoming um, partners with us, with those associations to to help uh, improve their their members and what their offering is to their clients. Um, we've got a, a partnership that we've just launched recently with the Master Plumbers Association in Western Australia, and what they're looking to achieve is actually increasing the standards of the tradesmen um, and not just through offering them discounts to, to you know, a fleet for vehicles or discounts for their new jet systems or whatever it might be for their vehicles, but actually look to their, the association themselves are looking to talk to software companies, tech companies, um, education companies so that once they, once a new member comes on board or an existing member's there, if they've got questions, they can get them answered. Whereas historically, they didn't have a lot of those there. Um, and I'm really interested to work with the Association of Western Australia because the idea of improving the standard of the trades means that if you've got a cowboy running around in the in the suburbs charging ridiculous prices or undercutting other tradesmen, 
the level, if, if all the other tradesmen in the association knew that the standards or the level of services should be X, Y, and Z, or the calculations that are required to um, around tracking their pricing, then they would be able to turn around and say to their customer when the, when the client says, hang on a second, you've offered me a quote for $2,500, but Mr. Smith down the road is only doing it for $1,200. They can say, okay, well, look, I understand my pricing. I understand this, but if this anything goes wrong, we're going to be here. You know, I know what the costs are to do this job and I know what we've got to charge. If you want to take the cheaper price, no worries at all. I hope it all goes well. But it gives them the opportunity to actually stand their ground and not drop down the 1200 bucks to, to do the job just to try to win the work, knowing that they're then going to be in the red and can potentially then impact their business negatively. So through that education, which I think is really important, that's going to help to drive that standard up. And then it also means that consumers start to learn more as well about what they should be expecting from a tradesman that arrives on site. Getting four words on a quote for $1,200 is not good. Clear, detailed descriptions, clear headings, clear price of what you're being, what you're being charged, $1,200 to supply and install, blah, that really helps the understanding. So it's, it's, it's important. You know, different when you car service and there's all these items on the car service and there's all these items that you don't really understand. We go, well, this looks like it's been scientifically calculated. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not really happy about spending, you know, $1,200 to get my car service, but who am I to argue because it's already done. I didn't know how much it would be. Um, and so what the car guys do is they have, they've already got this in, in their uh, in their model. They've already got these, uh, these itemising things, you know. Um, and I don't think anyone would ever question those. I you can question the labour or a part or something like that, but, you know, good luck doing that sort of stuff. It's already been done. Yeah. Uh, Marcel, I want to ask you about price increasing because we had a situation, this wasn't a tradesperson, but we had to write uh, an email copy for someone that's been charging the same price for their services for quite a period of time. And the, the copy was great, of course, but they were petrified. Behind it was a petrified business owner worried that he is going, or he or she, is going to lose their loyal customers. Do you have any advice for these type of things? We're talking about pricing, you know, for those that need to increase their prices, especially if they're the same price for 20 years or so, on how, you know, not to worry about it because there is this there is this fear of actually losing these valued customers. Do you have any advice for these business owners? Um, because I am a little bit technical in the way that I, I look at that question, I would... Personally, for me, I'd have a look and say, okay, well, if I had this number of customers, what is the percentage rate of churn that I'm going to get from the price increase and what's that actually going to mean to my bottom line? And what you tend to find is that if you're you – look at Netflix. Netflix bumped up their rate. They knew that they were going to lose 900,000 subscribers or whatever it was. This wasn't the more recent one but the the last price hike that they did. But they had already factored that all into their bottom line. So they knew that no matter what, they were going to churn a little bit but the new customers that were going to come on board after the fact were going to help to pad out that loss anyway. But then you've also got the existing clients that aren't going to leave who are going to be more than happy to pay that new price. Um, that's the more technical aspect that I'd take to look at it. But then it's also just the clear communication. At the end of the day, everyone's the prices are going up across the board because of the supply chain issues. Everybody knows that. No one's, you know, unless you're you know, living under a rock. But dealing with tradesmen, they increase their rates all the time and they're not afraid to do it. You know, I get phone calls all the time saying I'm bumping up my rates 7%, 12%, 13%. What's the best method of doing that within the software? And I ask them, are you worried about your customers? They say, no, no, I'm not. I need to do this. If I want to be here tomorrow and I don't do this, then the loyal client base that I've got, I'm going to have to find someone else to work with. So 
taking the chance to communicate to the client, but then also being aware of what you think your churn rate might be will just help to, I suppose, reduce the anxiety of the decision, but then also help you to understand that, you know, in the future, it's going to be okay. Generally, find myself that customers don't leave you quit your, quit your price up. The number one reason why customers leave you because they think you don't care. That's what I found in, in, in 30 years of business. They, the pricing increase is a part of life, but if they believe that you have no vested interest in, in their own business or, or what in their own well-being, I go, well, you know, Marcel doesn't care, but Matt doesn't care about me, or, you know, um, you know, someone else cares more. So that's the, that's the care factor. So, um, and that the pricing is, as you say, price increases are uh, a fact of life, particularly in this environment, every industry, you know. And I dare say trades are, 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 are in the firing line as well for uh, because there's labour costs increases and there's, there's just costs going up all over. I find that tradesmen yeah. do have the, I think the, the confidence from the tradesmen comes from the fact that they can turn around and say, well, look, copper's going up, this is going up, this is going up materials themselves are going up and if you're a consumer were to walk into bunnings or reese or anybody you can see those price increases so it's not they're not us making fake increases there are clear increases that are coming through so um, they do have the ability to to use that to help navigate some of those questions from customers Um, and i do understand that some other businesses now for us for example as a tech company if we were to increase our our pricing to explain to our client base the technical aspect behind the servers, holding of the, you know, all the different technological reasons that can be increased that they're not going to feel or see themselves, they turn around and go, oh, I don't really understand that. That doesn't make sense. Whereas if you talk to a baker, they say, well, grains are going up 30%. Oh, if I'm going to buy my flour, your bread is going to go up because of that. It, it's, it's substantial. But there's a, there's, there's, there's a sort of a catchphrase in, it, in every industry now. So whatever you think you're going to hire someone for, add um, another 10 to 15% to that wage, you know. Um, that's that's in every industry I've found. So if you think you're going to get someone for X amount, add another 15 20% to it or 10%, and uh, that might be the figure that you might attract someone out of new salary because the salaries are definitely uh, attracting talent. So if you have to attract talent to grow your business, you're going to spend a bit more money on wages, uh, and that's a real cost to input for your business as well. So, yeah. Even overseas, I would imagine if you're getting coding done in Malaysia or places like that, I can guarantee you they're also going up as well, you know, places like Philippines. Uh, they wouldn't be the same price they were five years ago. I'm, pretty, I'm confident in that, so, yeah. And what, and what about, Marcel, I was just thinking, do you have any advice out there for uh, any business owners who are actually lacking confidence in what their services are worth? Like, you know, you hear people just want to get jobs through the door, but... Are they pricing it correctly? Maybe not. Is there anyone, is there any advice that you have based on your experience? Um, still to today, I have that that little devil on my shoulder that says, oh, are you sure it's worth that? You know, you go into a sales meeting, you have a chat with a client and then they're, they're peppering you with questions and making you feel, hang on a second, is this service worth what you're putting it out for? Um, is there any advice that I can give around how I've handled it? With my ADD and anxiety, it gets quite difficult. You know, even before jumping on today, I, had to, I was pacing up and down the corridor, taking, t- taking deep breaths. You know, it's, there's ways that I've learned myself to handle the anxiety of it all. Um, and what does really help me is the question, sorry, the, the feedback that I get from existing users, businesses that have been using our software who have grown. Now, we had one client in who came on board in January 2020, just before the lockdowns hit. He had three tradesmen working for him through the course of essentially he's now got, uh, he's in Queensland, he's got a Brisbane office and he's got a, a Gold Coast one now. So he started off with three, he's now got close to 20. So in a little bit over two years through COVID, 
he was still able to grow and he said, you know, it's because of the way that you, your system allowed us to price jobs. I knew I could confidently hire staff send them out there to see the jobs and they were then going to quote the way that they needed to. So it's feedback, the positive feedback that I get from the existing users and the success that I'm seeing of our existing businesses that helps to pad that out. I don't believe you're ever going to get away from that. And um, I read an article recently from the, I think he's the chairperson of the Formula One. He's been seeing a psychiatrist for 20 years because he still to today, even though how much he's done for Formula One, still has self-doubt around what he's doing for that industry. So I don't think you're ever going to get away from it, but I think if you're willing to talk about it and understand what you can do yourself around being mindful, whether it's breathing exercises beforehand, communicating with your users to, to get you know the feedback from them to get to understand that, yes, actually what we are doing is good and the pricing that we have to put forward is what we need to charge to sustain our business. Putting all those together, you can kind of get over it. To a certain degree, you can kind of get past it and get over the top and go, you know what, it is worth this. I've got a backing of client base that say it is. So, yes, you know, that's just, it's, that's what I've got to say around that advice is just, you know, trying to break it down and find out what's going to work best for yourself and then just ticking the boxes off and, and sticking to that small habit. You know, if you go, if you do, you know, we had a, 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 our first big client with over 30 tradesmen coming on board in one go next month. Predominantly, our software has been between one and five. The industry for trades, first plumbing and electrical, 97%, I think, don't quote me, it's either 95 or 97, have fewer than three employees. So it's, it's, it's very fragmented. So knowing that we're working with a lot of smaller companies, you know, taking a step to talk to a large business that has over 30 and bringing them on board, that was hard because their first question was, how's this going to work? You charge, you know, this is the dollar value that you want to charge for this. Is it going to be worth it? And I, you know, he said, "Well, they said you've only been working with one to five. How's this going to help a business that's over thirty when you don't have that experience yet?" And I had to use the support from our client base mentally to turn around to this business owner and say, "If I can make these guys grow from one to five to twenty, imagine what I can do with your business." So if you think that you, you know, if you're starting at a million dollars and I'm getting you twenty five percent more, then of course my ninety dollars plus GST per field license is worth it. Because you're going to make that back in your first job, and then every other job you do for the rest of that month is profit from our system. So that's that's how I've come to terms with it, and I still, you know, every day have that little little devil on the shoulder that goes, "Oh, are you sure? Are you sure?" That's normal. Everyone's got fear. Everyone's got insecurities. I think that came through on my very first podcast. Natalie's like, you know, everyone's insecure. You know, everyone is. It's the degree of insecurity. So everyone's got insecurities. But you, you know what, lie. I'm finding that it's only, I don't know whether past COVID, but people are more open about it now. It's something that we all chat about. You know, we make mistakes, we're all human. Before, no one made mistakes. You know, you can't make a mistake or you're gone. Now it's, hey, we're human, we make mistakes. We can ask for help, which was a great topic you brought up before, Marcel, you know. Um, but I, I've got to ask you this. So we've spoken about flat rate now. What is the future? What, what does the future look like for flat rate now? Really curious to know this because it, it's it sounds wonderful, Mimo, doesn't it? I was going to say, can you add in copywriting as a business to that? Because it would help us. It's only taken me seven years to work out exactly how to automate our process. But it's if everyone could get automation, you'd save so much time. 
what you're saying now, it's a scalable business, right? So when you talk about, and unfortunately you're dealing with tradies who don't um, understand scaling businesses. So when you read Michael Gerber, the materialize it, you know, GPs or doctors are great, but they've only got a maximum earning potential because there's only so many hours they can do. But obviously flat rate now is a scalable business. And I suppose if you could teach, if you're a scalable business, you can probably teach scalability and you can actually teach a tradesman. Because I think, you know, a bit, a bit like hairdressers, I, I you know, used, to, used, to, used to go out with a hairdresser back in the many, many years ago, and you either make money as a sole trader or you make money owning, you know, 15 hairdressing salons, and there's nothing in between. And I think tradies are the same. If you if you employ two or three tradies, you're probably just paying wages, and, you know, by the time you pay your insurance and everything, um, there's very little left. So I think you have to learn how to scale. Is that is that a, a fair assessment? Yes, definitely. And it all, it, what I find um, with a lot of tradesmen as well, and I'll come back, Natalie, to the vision um, for essentially phase two and three of our of our company, um, the a, a, a real problem that I've identified with tradesmen is that they not only are they not talking to their accountants to ask what should I be charging for my labour rate quarterly. You'd be lucky to do it yearly, but I've come across a lot of business owners who are stuck at the two or three employees and can't get higher because all they've done is they've asked friends. Other tradesmen, what are you charging per hour? What are you charging per hour? What are you charging per hour? Okay, I'm going to do 5% less than him. I'm going to grow. That's not going to work. They, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll work for the first couple of months and then they hit the glass ceiling. Because they haven't taken the time to understand their own pricing and their own business, they can't get past that glass ceiling because that is, they, they turn around and go, well, if I charge more, I'm going to be higher than Mr. Smith down the road and I can't be higher than him. I want to be the competitive one. I want to be cheaper. That's going to help me get more jobs. Then the volume component comes into play. They're starting to quote eight jobs, nine jobs, 10 jobs, and then they burn out. And then you find a lot of them will just end up sacking their guys and is working on their own at that labor rate because then they can still still charge the rate that they think they should be charging, increase their profitability because they don't have increased insurances, more vehicles on the road and all that. But then they've got the added stress of being on the tools all day, getting home after dark to then do all the paperwork. So it's... It's a real frustration of mine that that labor rate there and that not being out of scale because trade businesses, essentially the ones that are, are very successful are the ones that turn around and go, well, I know that if I get five additional leads per day, I can hire a new tradesman. And that tradesman with flat rate now can arrive on site, quote the jobs at the rate that I want him to quote with some autonomy in price adjustments and then he can then do the job. And then you then see those ones that evolve even further and they go, well, I'm scaling now. I'm going to have my sale team and my installer team. Sale guys will go out there and they'll they'll talk to the clients, they'll educate them on what's going on. And then once the job's sold, they'll move on to the next client. And you've got the installer team that comes in behind them and does the service work, installs the hot water unit, installs the the the, um, the switchboards. Have a look at a commercial at a commercial kitchen, Marcel. That's exactly how it works. Executive chef, sous chef. The executive chef doesn't cook; he just controls. She controls. And everybody else has a role to play. So they can probably learn from how a commercial kitchen works. It's exactly the same thing. They're trying to achieve something. They're using a team of people and their, and their relative strengths to, to churn out a profit, which is very interesting. So, yeah, that's great. So back to the uh, the dream, the vision. Our vision is, has, from the get-go, has been around improving the quoting potential of tradesmen. Um, and through that, that helps to reduce the stigma that a tradesman has to be a salesperson because all they need to be able to do is provide the passion that they already have about the trade through communication to the client. Let the system help to build the quotes. They don't have to write as much, but then they verbally explain what's going on. So that's our first phase has been around building out the system to have that catalog that can really drive the success of a everyday tradesperson. Next steps for us is to improve on the algorithms around that to then help to expand 
on the opportunity that every tradesperson has when they arrive on site to, in, to improve the repeat clients because predominantly tradesmen have a, about an 80 to 90% new client and between a 10 and 20% repeat client, which is ridiculous when it comes to marketing expenses. So we want to go in there and improve on the algorithm around how we can support those businesses through that automation or being able to you know, schedule jobs 12 months down the track. Now, this system is available out there with job management systems, but it requires a lot of manual, manual entry and manual tracking. Based on tasks that we have in our system, we can then predominantly say, well, well sorry, we can turn around and say that um, uh, we know based on the Australian standards that any tempering valve installed for a hot water unit needs to be inspected every 12 months. So through our system, we can then turn around and say that Marcel has arrived at Natalie's place today and installed a new tempering valve and 11 months and two weeks later, a job pops up. Contact Natalie to ask if you can go out there and inspect their tempering valve. That further improves the customer satisfaction, customer reliability, customer understanding, and the respect and the loyalty that that customer will have with the business knowing that they're going to look after me. They're going to come back to me in the, in the future to support my property, especially now that property prices are going so high and everybody's dream is to have a property. Everyone wants to maintain that and look after their property really well. So that's phase two is around the, the algorithm to support that and keep on driving the success of businesses. And then phase three will then go into how can we support jobs as a whole? How do we work with more systems out there to provide that level of data that's necessary to you know, do market insight? If I know that Marcel, my employee, is really good at selling hot water units in Bondi, but not so good at selling them in Crow's Nest, maybe I won't send Marcel to jobs in Crow's Nest. I'll leave him to do the Bondi jobs. If I know that I predominantly convert more jobs in Cronulla versus whatever, Castle Hill, maybe I'll do some more marketing down there rather than do rather than do Castle Hill. So through the data that we've got around the conversion and whatnot, our phase three is then to work with other systems to improve the overall business for tradesmen. Because you would be accumulating a lot of data. That's the whole thing. And that's, you know, people look at, at these big companies in our industry, like, you know, Marley's Burn and HelloFresh and Everyday Rewards. And the amount of data coming out is incredible about people and how they behave. And and, uh, and then they start building up a, a, a profile of a person or, a, or a, a household in a certain area and how they behave and how they shop. So it would, would apply in your, your case as well. So that's- it's, um, there's a, the issue that we find with the data at the moment is that a lot of the information is just text based. So what I mean by that is it's not um, a proper sales order tracking uh, this address has these, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, repeatable jobs. So if I, there's a thousand and one ways to say I'm servicing a tap. Unfortunately, the algorithms out there for artificial intelligence and machine learning can't quite decipher that information well yet. So a lot of tradesmen that are using systems to just type out their quotes and not using a repetitive item means that the, the data that they're capturing is very difficult to use to improve their business in that sense because our catalog has, you know, the code, the heading is the same. Even if they were to change materials on the task or edit the, the heading in the description, that code remains, the unique identifier remains the same. So we can then leverage that information to track it, to then say that Marcel has sold a 1,000 of these in 12 months. Fantastic. What can we then use that data for to help improve the business that's the next steps for us. But you, you don't have any profiles of customers, though. That's the thing. That's an interesting area where you've got you know profile customers. You know they behave in a certain way. That's a, that's also an interesting area that you could 
you could delve into or just take characteristics. I'd be more interested in the characteristics of a property than the consumer because the property doesn't change. You got the consumer, you got you got landlords, you got rentals, you got all that. So by looking at the data that's being produced around property addresses, they never change either. So we can turn around and go, well, in the future, we know that one Smith Street has had these amount of tradesmen arrive, have done this work over the last five years. This hasn't been changed. This has been changed based on our system. It would be amazing to have um, you know some blockchain technology designed around connecting up different systems based on that address that could then be fed back into real estate agents and property managers and so forth so that if a new tenant is coming in or a new person is purchasing a property, having access to data to say that this property has been well-maintained. How good would that be? Because you know that when you go in to buy a property, you're checking everything. You've got to get this report put together. Well, it's like, it's like the logbook in the car, isn't it? You know, you buy a car and it's got logbook service by the original, you know, the company that sold it to you, the, the dealership, and you go, well, okay, this is a, a well-maintained car. Uh, yeah, there are so, there are companies out there that I've seen that are now starting to look at doing that for real estate agents and property managers. So I'm very interested to see how that goes because my background being a broker and working with insurance companies, that data is extremely important for their insurance premiums. How well-maintained is a property? Low, if it's well-maintained, it will lower the premium. So it actually comes hand-in-hand hand with insurance companies as well, having access to clean, useful data to then drive and understand the actions of the past and what needs to be done in the future to further maintain things. Oh, we could have another whole leader talk session on data. Couldn't we, Mimo? We've, we've done a few of those. It's so important. And- data is, 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 the big, is the big deal. It's the future. It's why, it's why businesses have valued it, you know, incredible multiple because they're holding data that, that uh, you're learning about people that spending power. And what you say, properties have data as well. So he was me thinking, you know, five minutes ago, it's all about people with data, but it's also properties are holder, holders of data, which is amazing, which helps you. Your, yeah, your- that was actually an interesting response as well because I also thought, Mimo, that the pe- it was the people, the consumers that you'd want to hold the data. But, yeah, it was an interesting take on that. And, Marcel, for any listeners, for all our listeners out there that, you know, may want to get in touch or find out more about Flat Rate Now, where can they go for more information? Just head to our website, flatratenow.net, and through there you can contact us through our social medias. More than happy for you to do a quick phone call via our contact, contact us page or there's a live bot on there as well that you can organise a little bit of a chat. So you can definitely jump on our website. Wonderful. Thank you. And we're actually out of time. So, Mima, I'm going to hand over to you to do a quick wrap-up. Okay. So, thanks so much, uh, Marcel. We've been listening to uh, Flat Rate Now. Uh, CEO, 29-year-old CEO, well done. Congratulations on being a CEO at 29. Uh, that's another That's another couple of topic of conversation, young leaders. Um, and uh, what we've learned today is a lot of really interesting concepts that apply to small businesses that the uh, you're dealing with a few t- target markets and we learned that the learning curve for certain trades was uh, steeper than others. Um, this business hand now came out of key frustrations, which is always a great way to start a business and, and to start a business on a key frustration of your target market is, is definitely the way a lot of businesses will, will, will prosper because you know, everyone has key frustrations um, and I think you've identified it very well. And the pricing modules address the key frustrations. Uh, I like the concept of less is more. So you're actually teaching people to quote less uh, because that gives you a, it gives you a much better customer satisfaction. Um, and also, it also gives you predictability in a very, uh, you know, trades trades and, and people that non-trades, like I'm a non-trades person like you, it's, it's, a, it's a bit daunting. Um, and, and then we get into the idea of explaining the problem and communication of tradies, if you can teach tradies how to communicate. So this is a concept we use a lot in our business. If I can't improve your business, 
Um, and if my customer can't improve their business, then we're not in business for the right reason. You've got to actually exist to exist to improve someone else's business. Um, in your case, you try and improve a tradies business, which is good. So it's not about, I mean, the money's got to come, you've got to make a profit, but unless you're offering something to improve a customer's um, bottom line, then you really, um, you're a salesman. Um, customer reviews and asking for reviews is a really good thing. And here I am thinking how we can ask customers for reviews on what we do. Um, and also making mistakes and learning from mistakes. I'm glad that through the age of 29, you're making lots of mistakes because I'm about 58, I'm making plenty more than when I was 29. Um, I think the concept of asking for help is a massive one. And I, I go back to a lot of these things saying, you know, just get some help, ask some people. Nick Smith, once again, has um, always said he asked for help. Um, I think your pricing uh, modules are interesting because I think a lot of people undercharge. And I think there's a common fear about us business owners, oh, am I charging too little? Um, you're actually charging way under what you're actually worth. And this whole thing, if I put my price up, my customers will leave. No, they will leave because they think you don't care about them. Um, I, I think you, you've got a good system of improving repeat clients, referrals, and you've got an automation piece there, which will improve loyalty. And if you improve loyalty, then you will also um, uh, foster referrals, which is amazing. Um, and I like how you've got that automation system the idea of it, you know, reminding you to check your tempering valve. And I'm going to go and Google what the hell a tempering valve is. I've got no idea. Um, so there's my learning for today. What is a tempering valve and do I have one? Do I need one? Um, do I need to see a doctor for that? Um, so <laughs> I think I think you've actually, and, and the last thing, which is probably the most biggest takeout I've got is the, is the data. Uh, as I said, we thought data was about human beings, but you're now linking data to properties and that's where you can use that to feed back to real estate insurance. So that's a really big thing on, on, on data and data is the future and we're going to continue to talk about data in these, these areas. So once again, thank you, Marcel. It's been a very insightful uh, hour. It's gone so quickly and um, yeah, thanks very much to Marcel and Nat and uh, yeah, back to you, Nat. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Marcel. And I've learned from you a lot today, Mimo, as well. So it's been a wonderful chat. So thank you to you both. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. For more information on Leader Talk and for some great resources to help your business grow, check out brainiac.com.au. Bye, everyone. Leader Talk. 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 Leader Talk.